with a sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters in your mercy. And all your people sing along. So remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, O oh God. Sing. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God. Come on, y'all. Can't hear you. You see the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in a song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So remember. So remember. Mr. Caleb Smith coming to be baptized. Um, if you are part of the Smith family, um, I just want to ask you to stand so we can recognize you guys and here to support Caleb. Caleb has nine brothers and sisters, for those of you who didn't know that, so they have a pretty large family. So, um, so Caleb's made a profession of faith and he just wants to make his faith public in baptism today. So Caleb, I have a question for you. 
Do you trust Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin? Yes. Do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Well, then it's my honor to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for this beautiful day, Lord, and thank you for that example of faith and following you in believer's baptism this morning, God. Bless our time together as we worship you and praise you and everything that's done today and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing this song, all right?
Amen. Is it well with your soul this morning? If not, I trust before the end of this service you'll be able to sing that right along with the rest of us. It is well with my soul because Jesus is on the throne. He is alive and He's coming back again. Amen. 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 If you will for just a moment. We're thrilled to see you in the house of the Lord today. I'm glad to feel almost human this week. Thank you for letting me kind of slip in late last week and slip out early so as not to spread my germs to you. Um, but God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Amen. And guest here today for the very first time. In fact, I'd love for all of you to reach inside the worship guide you were given when you came in and pull out this connect card. It looks like this, but you don't have notes written on yours yet. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. If you're a regular member, this is where you attend every week. If you just put your name on there, it lets us know that you were here. If you have praises, prayer requests you'd like to share with us as our staff prays over those every Tuesday morning, feel free to put that on there as well. We'll collect those at the very close of the service today. Also inside your worship guide today, it's a little stuff today, isn't it? There's seven weeks between now and Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? It's going to be an amazing weekend. The, the highest date on the Christian calendar every year. The fact that our Savior rose again. He's alive and well and coming back. We're trusting God. We're going to pray for seven people for seven weeks between now and Easter. We'd love to partner with you in praying for these names. So if you're prepared to fill that out, you can drop it in the offering plate a little bit later. And we're going to start praying specifically for God to save some people. If you want to take some time to pray over that and bring it back later, you can. One more thing inside your worship guide. There's a little handout about the Good Samaritan Food Ministry. One of the many tremendous ministries of our local Chattahoochee Baptist Association. Uh, we're partnering with them. They're a part of our regular church budget, but today there's an offering envelope to receive a special offering to support that, specifically the Good Samaritan Food Ministry. You know, for some time we've tried to have a food pantry here, but we've made the strategic move to partner more with our local association. They're better staffed for that. They have more facilities and volunteers there. Last year in 2019, because of your faithfulness to give here, 96,817 people received food. 33,000, almost 34,000 were children. They assisted 246 people with job placement. But here's the best part of all. Now listen, don't you sit there and look at me like this is not a big deal when I tell you this. 92 people trusted Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Because that was amen. That's what it's all about right there. Pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, within the providence of God, knowing I'd be sick and not 100%, God already had it on our calendar to have a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Emer Canner. I can't believe we've known each other for over 20 years. I didn't think that until he told me he and Hannah are about to celebrate their 20th anniversary, and I knew him as a, as a single guy. Trump McConnell University is really almost in our backyard. We are blessed because of Trump McConnell University. In fact, can I do this? If you have ever attended Truett McConnell College or university or employed there, staff there, would you stand all over the building and let us see how Truett McConnell has impacted the, amen, the life of our church right here. Are we blessed by that? And if you're looking to send your young people to a place that will be biblically centered and distinctively Baptist, every, regardless of your degree of study, whether it's medical or education, every young person gets a minor in Great Commission studies. Because that's what it's all about. 
getting out the good news of the gospel. Well, his wife, who has a black belt in karate, he said he paid for that to happen so she could be a middle school girls teacher at their church at First Baptist Helen. That's where Miss Hannah is today. But after our choir sings their special music, you want to welcome Dr. Cannon. At this time, we're going to worship the Lord with his tithes and our love gifts. At the close of the service, Pastor Chase is going to tell you about an exciting event happening here tonight, but I won't steal that thunder. Thank you for your faithfulness to honor the Lord with his tithes and our love gifts. You know, when you have things like a snow Sunday, it kind of sets you back a little bit, but God's people are faithful. God's going to, God's going to do what he's going to do, but he wants us to get in on that. Does God need my money? No, he didn't need my money. But I need to be obedient. So thank you for your faithfulness to give to our regular budget offering, to give to the Good Samaritan Food Ministry. Let's pray together and let's worship the Lord. Father, my heart's already been blessed just by having the help to get in my car and come up here today and fellowship with people that I love so deeply and so dearly. God, you've already stirred my heart in the time of worship that we've had. And God, I know we're just getting started. So, God, I know when we lift you up, we stand on the authority of your word. You tell us if we'll lift up Jesus, you'll draw all folks to yourself. So, Lord, as we lift you up this morning, speak to our hearts. Those that may be discouraged, encourage them. Those who may be unsure of their relationship with you, may this be the day of their salvation. More than anything else, we just want you to be honored today. Because when you're honored, we know we're going to be blessed in the process. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people to worship you with your tithes and our love gifts. You use them, Lord. Multiply them that men, women, boys, and girls will be reached in northeast Georgia and in nations around the world for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
As the choir is coming down this morning, y'all stay. We're not through worshiping. We're going to worship a little bit. Sing it out. Sing this with me. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God Almighty. Early in the morning.
Attention all Kmart shoppers, there's a blue light special. We got that yet? How about now? There we go. All right. Again, good morning, church. Okay. In your scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 here in just a second. Uh, I was looking around, reminiscing a bit this morning. I've served at True McConnell now for 12 years. Uh, your pastor is the reason I'm there. So if it's not good, blame him, uh, not me. We literally were the first two to connect while I was at Southwestern Seminary. He emailed me and the rest moved in motion. We, I just never saw it coming, brother. I think you didn't see it coming from days when he knew me, not only when I was single, but when I had hair. <laughs> a long time ago. Students don't remember that. They, they knew when I had some of my hair, but not like this. This was never planned. I looked like the love child between a Saudi woman and Mr. Clean. Didn't plan this at all. And I was single. Uh, I, I had not met my wife. I met on, my, on a mission trip. We dated for a week and got married. My brother, who's also a preacher, passes around the ugly rumor that I met her at hotcheckchicks.com. That is a lie. I do joke around, you know, Tennessee fans have their own dating website. Did you know that? For just for Tennessee fans, it's called Ancestry.com. <laughs> but there's so many people in the crowd that I just, you know, just want to chat for a bit. Curtis Collins, wherever you are, you were on the board that brought me here as well, as well as students and the Gregories and so forth. I'm grateful. Uh, if you are a pessimist about this generation, just go a half mile up the road. I'd suggest you come on a Tuesday morning at 930 and watch as the Lord intervenes in the lives of staff, faculty, and students as the Word of God is preached. And then just hang around and watch how our uh, students uh, love each other, love the Lord, and love the lost. Well, my heart today is in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. The question I want to ask today is, where is your focus? Where is your focus? If you've ever heard the old adage, a person who is too heavenly minded is no earthly good. It is actually the opposite. It is true that those who are too earthly minded are no heavenly good. Those whose focus is on the temporary those who's focused are on those things that only earth can give and not what heaven will bring, are the ones that usually not only lose their focus, but lose their sight and their centerpiece, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in that regard that Peter finds his way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where he's speaking to what we call the diaspora, the scattered. Jewish people who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're now being scattered abroad because of the persecution that their faith is now bringing. They feel alone because they're scattered. They feel isolated because they're scattered. They don't feel like they're part of the body of Christ all along because they're scattered. And to that group, 
Peter brings a word this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 2, just one verse, verse 9, and this is what our Lord says to us this morning. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. December 2013, six years ago almost exactly, was a very special day in the life of the Cantor family. You see, my wife and I had been married for 13 years. The Lord had so graciously given us three children and life was so busy, but it was time for something to happen that we had waited for for 13 years. My wife's citizenship. Born and raised under communism, and then marries uh, me in 2000. And then, of course, life gets a hold of us. And we thought, you know what? It's time. It's time to become a citizen of the United States. But to become a citizen, it takes some things. And it should, by the way. It shouldn't be something that is simply given in terms of those who come here, but it is a privilege. And we took it that way. Because when you go down there, by the way, you have to pass an exam. You have to have a hundred questions. They can give you any of those hundred questions. You have to take 10 of them and pass six or they tell you to go away because you're part of something very special in the American experiment of freedom. And then when you're standing there, that Friday, she was standing in a room with 150 other people from 50 different nations. But their focus was a becoming exclusive allegiance to the, uh, the United States of America. And so you stand there and you literally raise your right hand and you swear my allegiance as a citizen is to these United States. Above all other countries or anything else, these United States. It's a very special time. Now she has a very sarcastic husband. I wanted her to do something she wouldn't do because I was in my carnal flesh, but it would be funny. I wanted her to go to the front, take the officer's hand. Man, he's got the naturalization certificate. That is a special piece of paper that demonstrates you are a citizen stamped for the United States of America. And take that, shake his hand. I just want him to take the naturalization certificate, shake the officer's hand, look him dead in the eye and say, hey, uh, where's the welfare line? But she was smart. I was done. It was been a glory. I had FaceTime going, but it didn't happen. It's a special time because allegiance. If that's the case, and it is, because in the Cantor household, my, I being raised under Islam, my wife raised under communism, the, the sacrifice that our soldiers have made for more than 200 years for our freedom is second to none. This country has given more freedom. This country has given more freedom to more people than any other nation in the history of the earth. And so you can imagine our allegiance is here, and yet my Bible tells me I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, I'm a sojourner, I'm just passing through. So how much more so should my citizenship be in heaven? How much more so should I desire my exclusive allegiance to be to the Lord Jesus Christ, his will, his word, and his way? And Peter's reminding the scattered of that very fact. Peter, Peter who we always lift up but we forget his entire story, don't we? 
Peter, who he wasn't a leader that Jesus brought to himself. He was a follower. You could tell that, by the way, because the Gospel of John says that his brother Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. It wasn't even Peter who was surrounded in leadership. It was his brother Andrew that we don't know too much about. Yet, that's Matthew chapter 10. By Matthew chapter 16, it's Peter who boldly stands up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Peter who not only is part of the disciples, but becomes part of the inner core. See, there are 12 that are inner core in, the, in disciples, but three in the inner core, Peter, James, and John. You know that because in Matthew 17, the three, not the 12, the three go up to what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration, where they get to see Jesus in all of his glory and two stand beside him. So you can imagine Peter who becomes a leader and Peter who sees Jesus' glory, he couldn't fall, could he? But we know life too well, don't we? That by Matthew chapter 26, it's Peter who's not even near the cross. Right? It's only the mother of Jesus and the beloved John who have stuck with Jesus. Peter is over here, far away, and yet they catch up to him and they look at Peter and say, hey, isn't that that man you, you were with for three and a half years? And you remember, it's, it's Peter says, I don't know him. You sure? I don't know him. I don't know him. But our God is a gracious, a God who restores. And he looks at Peter. Do you remember the story? He doesn't look at Peter and say, did you say that? Did you say that? Did you say that? Does he? Because Christianity is that deep relationship. So he asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How much did that superlative of restoration mean to Peter? Well, by Acts chapter 2, he's standing in front of thousands, isn't he? 3,000 people are saved in one sermon. By the same time in Acts chapter 3, it's Peter who's healing a lame man. In Acts chapter 4, it's Peter who is being persecuted. By Acts chapter 5, they said that they count it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It's Peter who walks with our Lord for 37 years. And, and, and it's Peter who then says, for the last years of his life, this theme, he would say, that they've translated into Latin, desiderio domini. I just desire to be with my Jesus. Peter's focus was always on heaven. And he brings to the scattered, to the lonely, to the isolated, this epistle we now call 1 Peter, where he reminds us that your life can be and should be a life of victory. But do you believe that? You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, there is a clarion call that simply says this, be ye holy as I am holy. That is not shadow boxing. That is not merely a possibility. That it is a desire of the Lord in your life that you would live a holy life. To that, so many ask, but how is that even possible? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24 answers that. It says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands sure forever. The only way, the only way, the only way that you can stand with Jesus and stand for Jesus is to stay close to his written word. 
how powerful can your victory be? First Peter chapter two and verses 11 and 12 says that if you abstain from fleshly lust, that even lost people will glorify your God in heaven. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen a lost person say, look, I, I don't know if I want what you want, but I am amazed at how different you are. How possible is it? Well, it not only affects your, your public life, it better impacts your private life. First Peter chapter three and verse seven, it's the Lord speaking to husbands and saying that if you don't treat your wife with respect and the honor that she deserves, your prayers will be hindered. They will hit the ceiling on purpose because God will not honor what you say if you don't treat your wife with respect she gets. It's so powerful, the Lord says that it's not only in your public life, in your private life, it's in your church life. In First Peter chapter four, it talks about spiritual gifts. You see, if you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've come in to this local body of believers, God wants you to exercise your spiritual gift in this fellowship, gift of serving and of teaching, gift of hospitality, gifts of mercy, all of the lists that you can find in Romans 12 and, the first of, uh, first, uh, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4 and those pictures that you have. But so much of the church is now a, a, a spectator sport. So much so that by 1 Peter 5, Peter talks about a crown that you'll get. A crown. Well, what's a crown for? Well, this crown is the only crown that's designated to one type of individual, the pastor. Why so? Why to the pastor? Because if you look at any list, and if you've seen 2,000 years of church history, you'll recognize one of the most difficult jobs on the planet for 2,000 years is the job of the shepherd of the flock. They carry their burdens and they carry their weight and they preach an eternal word. And so the Lord says, if you are a shepherd a, that is, leads by example, the Lord will give you a crown. It's one of five crowns in scripture. It's the only crown that's given to a designated group. You say, well, what crown could I get? Well, 1 Corinthians 9 says, if you live a transformed life, you'll get a crown. If your life is changed, God will honor you. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, if you win souls to Jesus, you'll get a crown. When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Because the Lord wants to honor you with a crown. Second Timothy 4 says that if you expect the coming of Jesus, he'll give you a crown. James chapter 1 says that if you're persecuted, you will get a crown. Do you know today one out of eight Christians, 260 million Christians will suffer for the name of Jesus just today? But here's the one thing I wonder as we get into this passage. Do you think Peter knew that all five crowns would be placed on his own head? That Peter, that at one time was the one who forsook Jesus, was the one whose life was transformed, who we got to see win people to Jesus, who looked for the coming of our Lord, was persecuted for the faith and was a pastor. I'm not shy, shy, quite sure that Peter knew the very point that he was making would be something that the Lord would give him in eternity. In all of that realm, Peter then encourages others and says three things. One, I want to remind you, 1 Peter 2, 9, that you are a chosen generation, a chosen generation, a genos eclecton, election. Now, don't get excited. This is not a debate of whom God elects. This is not the point of the passage. In fact, if you move back to 1 Peter 2.8, it's a reminder that the Bible is even given and appointed to people who are lost. So not that debate. 
But what's the point of talking to a scattered group about being a chosen generation? Here's what Peter reminds you. That when God chooses you, he also gives you a family. Too many Christians in this world live an isolated faith. A faith that says, I want all of Jesus, but nothing to do with his people. That is not a biblical faith. It is difficult sometimes. You and I both know there are a lot of people you don't like, but God calls you to love everyone. It is difficult because there are crazy people in churches. You know it, and I know it. If I were to pause, step back, don't look around, look at me, and say, who's a crazy person here at airline? Here's a hint, if you got no one in your head, it's you. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I'd rather be in here this Sunday morning with people who are fallen but saved than to be out there isolated by myself with no guardianship, no family, no community. I realized that when I look back on the, at the church where I was saved. You know, back then it didn't make any sense to me. Zero. God brought me to a church that had nothing in common with the way I was raised. Zero. There were no similarities. My pastor was an ex-moonshiner who got saved. You know what moonshine is? Muslims are not supposed to drink alcohol. God brought me to a guy who made it. Clarence was in the Korean War. He was stationed in Tokyo, met his Japanese wife there, Yukiko. She was a Buddhist who got saved, nothing in common. Loved to pray in church, heartbroken English, we didn't have a clue what she was saying. After old heavenly father, I didn't know what was going on when she would pray. You know, we had a German woman in that church that loved to sing country western music. Do you know how weird that is? Do you know how weird it is to hear George Strait with a German accent? That doesn't make sense to anybody. And God, in a sense of humor, said, watch this, three Turks. And we three boys walked into church. You say, can you make sense of it? I can now. You say, how? You know, when I got saved, my father disowned me and said, you're not my son. You know what happened when Yukiko, the Japanese Buddhist, got saved? The very same thing. Do you know who was there? to help me get through that situation in my life when no one else could understand? Yukiko. You see, God gives you a family, a chosen generation to guard you, to serve with you, to love on you, to be there when you need and you can be there when others need. That's the picture that Peter gives when he says, you are a chosen generation. Don't walk away from the will of God by walking away from the church of God. Not only are you a chosen generation, as Isaiah 43 would say, that you're my people, my chosen. Deuteronomy 7 would say that the Lord loves you because he keeps his oaths. But you are secondly a royal priesthood. Not only a chosen family, you're the king's family. Now remember, he's talking to Jewish people. They know the Old Testament. When they hear priest, oh, they've exercised and watched what a priest is. A priest is a mediator, right? The priest is the one who stands in between God and men. The high priest 
would walk into the holy of holies once a year and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people that their sins might be covered. They knew what a priest was. But however, this is different. A royal priesthood to be kings and priests, that's radically different. It's still in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6 says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 says, he has made us a kingdom of priests. Revelation 5, 10 says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Here's what we recognize when you are a royal priesthood, when you're part of the king's family. One, when the word priest is mentioned in the New Testament, It's never mentioned of a pastor. He is not your priest. Secondly, it's never mentioned of any single individual. It's mentioned in a grouping together that you are kings and priests, that you are a royal priesthood, priests together. If there is no longer needed a priest, and there isn't, 1 Timothy 2 says that it is our Christ who is the mediator between God and man. If a royal priesthood is called, but a priest is no longer needed like the Old Testament, what's the point? The hint is given at the end of the verse that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, when you walk out of here this morning, you're a royal priesthood. In many ways, you are the one who stands between God and man to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Your calling, and I would argue your premier, highest calling in life is to share Jesus Christ with the lost world. There's no higher duty, there's no higher privilege, and there's no higher responsibility. With 7 billion people on earth, with 5 plus billion lost, what more can we do than go out to our neighbor, go out to our nation, or go out globally to share the Lord Jesus Christ? In fact, the key to this passage for a group that is lonely is simply this, you cannot be fulfilled in this life if you don't share Jesus in this life. See, there are many reasons why someone is depressed, but one of the key reasons why a Christian may be depressed is because they haven't shared Jesus. According to the latest survey, 51% of Christians don't know what the Great Commission is and where it is found in the Bible. And when a majority of Christians do not know, go ye therefore, then I promise you, many of those Christians will not find joy and contentment. Oh, there could be other reasons, but I tell you, if you're down this morning, one of the great ways you can find joy is just go out while you're sitting at lunch. Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe it's a mission trip that's being offered. Just go share Jesus and watch the joy that takes place. Two years ago, uh, I took my family to Thailand and we went to a remote village of about 163 people. There were six believers there that we knew of. And they allowed us to set up shop to show the Jesus film. My family got there a bit earlier than the rest of the group, so we decided not to waste any time. We'd just go door to door doing evangelism. So we did, and 
My daughter, who was nine years old at the time, did the Evangel Cube, and it was really incredible to watch because I stepped back. I wasn't wanting to be a part of it. I wanted her to share her faith with others. And so she was sharing Jesus with a 90-year-old woman, right? Nine-year-old, 90-year-old. And then she said, hey, would you just come to this movie? Then the woman shows up that night. Fantastic. Jesus film is shown. And at the end, a Thai pastor comes up and says, if you want this Jesus, why don't you just stand up? And don't be ashamed. And there she was, the 90-year-old woman getting up on her feet and placing her faith in Jesus Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You're part of the king's family. You know the beauty of a king's family? Mostly in royalty, you're not allowed. In this king's family, everyone's welcome. You are a chosen family in a king's family. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and you are a holy nation. You are a called family. Holy nation reverts back to 1 Peter 1. Be holy as I am holy. Can I tell you one of the significant reasons why the Western church, whether in Europe or America, has plateaued at this place? Is if our behavior is not significantly different than a lost person, why would a lost person ever pay attention to our words? The key to us, to me, is Lord, separate me in such a way that when someone walks by and someone hears my words, they'll recognize they're not vain. But holy has a second connotation. Holy means set apart. Holy means when you're called, you're called to exercise the spiritual gifts. Have you ever asked the question, what does the Lord want me to do here at Airline? What does the Lord want me to do in ministry around my community? Where is he placing me that I could serve others? Because is that not the Christian life in Philippians 2, 3, to esteem others better than myself? And I tell you, one of the reasons why more people are not coming to faith in Christ is that we haven't separated ourselves in such a way, not merely with behavior, but with calling that we look for ministries that we can serve and places where we can love. You are a holy nation. It has nothing to do with our geographical boundaries. My son, who's now a dual enrollment student at True McConnell full-time, turned 15 a couple years ago, and I decided to take him on a mancation, right? This is my only boy, and he's now becoming a man, and so I decided to take him to a very special place just to have a dad talk. So he and I flew to uh, Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, you don't know Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, it's a great place. You go to the east, it's Hershey's Chocolate Factory. It is a glorious place. One day you're going to see a president of a university get arrested because he jumped into a vat of chocolate. It is a bucket list of mine. It is glo- if you've never been in there, you got to go. Got to. But then to the west is Gettysburg. It's the place where more blood of Americans was, was, was spilled out more than any other place in history of our own history. So I I took him to Gettysburg. There's a favorite place that I have. It's a uh, roundabout tomb, a semicircle of tombs, 418 soldiers who died. They may be from the north or the south. We just don't know. They're unmarked. They never were named. And I sat my son down right there at that place of of the graves. And I said, son, I just want to remind you of three things that I believe are necessary for you to be a godly man. Number one, you gotta sacrifice for your Lord. 
You sacrifice for your Jesus, and I promise you, you'll be a godly Christian. Number two, son, you sacrifice for your family. Son, one day, God's gonna call you, believe it or not, to get married. And you're gonna be the leader of that family. You better serve that family. You better protect that family. You better provide for that family. And son, maybe one day, when we don't see it coming, you may be called up to serve your country. And son, you better sacrifice for your Lord, you better sacrifice for your family, and you better sacrifice for your country. If you do those three things, son, you will walk the path of godliness. We then got done and we were gonna leave Gettysburg. We had a half hour left. If you've never been to Gettysburg, it's a massive complex. It'll take four, six, eight hours to get through and we had 30 minutes. So I went up to the lady that was at the information booth and I said, ma'am, I, I, I got a problem. I only got 30 minutes left and you know, it, I, I know this takes a long time. I see the bus tours are four hours. What can I do? The sweet, sweet lady didn't know my background. <laughs> And she said, well, here's what I would recommend. Why don't you go to the battlefield on which your family fought for, north or south? A little bit of a problem growing up Muslim at this point. <laughs> My battlefield was somewhere between Syria and Iraq, not in Gettysburg. I thought, I don't know what to do then. And it dawned on me that I taught church history. I said, come on, we're getting in a car. So we drove up to the Northern Virginian Army. Revival broke out. There was a three-day battle and hundreds of people were being saved as men were being killed. And I told John Mark, I said, son, even in the most polarizing of times, God's at work, God is still saving souls, God's still doing his business. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, why? that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For 10 years, I did get to teach church history. One of my favorite characters in early church history was probably the last man who had any tangible touch with the disciples. He was a man by the name of Polycarp. He was born about 70 AD. By this time, most of the disciples had been put to death Previous to his birth, the apostle Peter had been put to death, being hung upside down on the cross. Paul was beheaded. Most were gone, but the apostle John was not. And the apostle John was in his latter years writing the apocalypse, the unveiling. And wouldn't you know, he mentored this young man named Polycarp until Polycarp was about 30 years of age. Then Polycarp takes over a church in Smyrna, which John had written about in the book of Revelation. And he pastors for a long time. Polycarp enjoys, even during the time that there's persecution, to be a pastor well into his 80s. But then the Roman Empire decides it's time again to persecute Christians. So they unravel the persecution and they target, of all people, an aged saint named Polycarp. And they arrest him, they threaten him, and they say, Polycarp, listen, you got to give up your faith. It's enough of this. And if you don't give up your faith, we're just going to feed you to the animals. We're going to put bears on one side and lions on the other, and we're just going to amuse and sport. Polycarp, give up your faith. And Polycarp is, is seasoned. He's been serving Jesus his entire life. He just looked at him and he said, what are you waiting for? Just do it. Oh, they didn't like the brashness of Polycarp. They couldn't believe this man in his 80s would do such a thing. And so they said, hey, Polycarp, here's the key then. 
if you don't recant your faith, we're going to burn you with fire. Big mistake. Polycarp looks at him and says, you worry about the fire that quenches in an hour, but you do not worry about the fire that never quenches. He is now preaching. They said, fine, tie him up. He said, don't tie me up. I'm not going anywhere. And then he says this. Eighty and six years have I served my Lord and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The chronicle that writes down about his execution explained that he was, quote, sharing the cup of Christ, but he was also sharing, quote, the resurrection to eternal life. Beautiful statement Adrian Rogers once made is still true today. You know, the joy of heaven is that we recognize that death is not a period. It's a comma. And like Peter, the call of this life is simply two words. Desiderio Domini. I desire to be with my Lord. What about you? Let's pray. So Lord, may that be so today. If there's anyone within the sound of my voice that says, you know, I don't know this Jesus. I've never surrendered my life. I have never placed my faith in the finished work of the cross and resurrection. That's just foreign to me. I don't know anything about that. Lord, I pray today that these aisles will be as wide open as your arms of love, calling them home, calling them to a place of forgiveness and joy calling them to a place of relationship with the eternal God of this universe. Lord, if there are others in here, maybe we've been born again like me for decades, but my goodness, the last time we could even think about sharing Jesus has been a long, long time ago. If that's the case, Lord, whether in the pew or at the altar, would we get right with you and recognize the high calling of life is to serve Jesus and share Jesus with others. Lord, if there's anybody here that just said, you know what, this idea of practicing the spiritual gifts that you have given me, that's me, Lord. I knew it all along. And right here at Airline is where you've called me. Lord, today, would you enlarge in the family of God right here at Airline? Call people home to this family. Lord, this is your altar call your time, your word, and it never returns void. So today do a work to which only you can get the credit and the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Pastor Mike will be right here in the middle. The altar is open. If you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to you, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come on, I will give you rest. If he's calling you home to this local church body, come on, this is the time to come. If he's calling you to repentance because you haven't shared Jesus, and it's not been six months, it's been 10 years. You can do that in your pew, you can do that in your altar, but don't miss getting right with Jesus. Amen. Come on. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son 
make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face mar the chosen one 